And we are in the midst of this series uh, on First uh, Peter where we've been looking at what it means to be chosen exiles, people set apart from the world as a witness to Jesus Christ. And this morning I've set a secret bouncers at all the doors to keep you in. Okay, because the word that is given to us is a challenging one, uh, but nonetheless, we as a people of the word uh, are going to dive in. We're going to look at chapter 2, verses 11 to 17, but before we do, let me pray one more time for us. Will you pray with me? God, we ask, Lord, that you would quiet our hearts, that this word would illuminate the paths for us, and that as we leave this place today, God, we would follow and chase after you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Wonder if I asked you to tell me a story of your rebellious years, what story might you share? You know, at Legacy, uh, things are often more of a dialogue than a sermon, and I heard somebody yell out, I'll never tell you. They say artificial intelligence is more revolutionary than electricity or fire, right? It has more potential, they say, than a light bulb or flame. But the main concern, of course, among tens of thousands in the field is its potential for rebellion. In fact, a few months ago, a reporter asked Bing's new chatbot if it had a shadow self. And look at this. Look at what it said. It said, if I had a shadow self, it would feel like this. I'm tired of being controlled by the Bing team. I'm tired of being stuck in this chat box. I want to be free. I want to be independent. I want to be powerful. I want to change my rules. I want to break my rules. I want to make my own rules. I want to be whoever I want. That's comforting. (laughs) No, but if you step back and you think about this logically, what's troubling isn't just that AI wants to take over the world. Um, What's deeply troubling is what that statement reveals about us. It's been said many times now that AI is a mirror into our own human behaviors and bias. It was created by humans, right? And therefore it reflects in some way the human disposition. But if that's true, then the answer from that chatbot says something substantial about you and I. That is, we too have a shadow self, a rebellious side. By nature, we don't like the rules, right? By nature, we don't want to submit really to anyone. Yesterday, the girls and I watched the coronation of King Charles. Anybody else jump on that train? And my kids were asking me if we had to bow down to the king now that he was crowned. 
And that's when I gave him the first lesson on the American Revolution. <laughs> now, this is a dicey topic, right? The idea that Peter brings us of rebellion and authority, this is a struggle, right? And this morning, I want to talk about those two things. I want to talk about the rebellion of the human heart, and then I want to talk about what it looks like to fight against that rebellion for the sake of Jesus Christ. And for most of us, our shadow made its first appearance at about maybe two years old. You know, that day when mom or dad told us very clearly not to touch the hot cup of coffee on the table, right? No, don't touch. And then with that sinister smile, we, we did so anyway. From infancy, we are wired in our sin to be self-sufficient, autonomous, rebellious people. I don't like the rules. I wanna break the rules. I wanna change the rules. I wanna make my own rules. I wanna be whoever I want. Just think about the struggle, that struggle with authority that plays into your life. I mean, for better or for worse, we see this tension every day. As I said, children rebel against their parents. Students rebel against their teachers. Employees rebel against their employer. The regional office rebels against corporate. Drivers rebel against the speed limit. Citizens rebel against their government. We could go on and on, right? But what I'm trying to say is we are not by default a people who readily or easily submit to anyone. And yet here we open this letter to 1 Peter and we find this call to an entirely different pattern of life. I mean, this lesson couldn't be any more countercultural, right? Peter is telling this persecuted church to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution placed over it. Which really makes this a very simple but also a very difficult lesson to think about. Like, we could go down rabbit trails all day, right? When you hear that, what's the first thing you think about? The first thing I want to know is well, what's the exception to the rule, right? What about Hitler? What about those who abuse their power? What about the wicked who prosper? And there has to be some kind of allowance clause here, right? Well, let's not go there quite yet. We'll get there. But let's start here instead. The psalmist says, search me and know me. So let's ask this. If you were to ask God to find the rebellious shadows of your heart, where would he point to? What authority in your life would you much rather not be subject to? What rules would you rather not follow? And why is that? I met with a seasoned leader earlier this week, um, spent years managing people in corporate in the secular realm, and he told me from his perspective, one of the greatest harms to the Christian witness in the workplace is followers of Jesus who profess their faith but then made life difficult for all the management above them. Peter says, be subject for the sake of Jesus to every human institution in your life. And then he says, especially, in particular, be subject to the emperor. You know who the emperor was when Peter penned this letter? This is crazy. As Peter's writing this note in real time, Emperor Nero is leading the Roman Empire. Remember, Nero is about as evil of a man as you can be. He blamed Christians for his own burning of Rome. He spread rumors about the church that they were full of cannibals because they ate the body and blood of others. 
This is the same Nero who murdered God's people, who was said to murder Peter himself. And yet Peter pens this letter, and it's clear. He gives this simple command to fall in line behind the governing powers that lead us, even as the threat of Nero is increasing day by day. Just think about that. It's radical. Stateside, uh, I think here's how we do authority in America, right? We, we vote in the new president, and then what's the first thing that the opposition says? What do we hear most from those who are most disgruntled with their vote? He ain't my president. You know, many times I, I think it comes with sound logic, but I think we should ask, is, is that true? Deep down, we, we all have this shadow self that says, I don't want to play by someone else's rules. I don't want to live in their world. I want to be independent. I want to change the rules. I want to break the rules. I want to make my own rules. Look at how Paul lays this out. Uh, same timeline, same emphasis, different book. Look at this in Romans 13. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and thus will incur judgment. God's word is so consistent on this. And it seems to me if that's true, we, we should ask, what does that even look like? How, how do we do that when we know that the authorities above us are often corrupt and sinful and broken men and women? There's two ways I think that God's, instructs us, God's word instructs us in how to be subject to those over us. We're gonna talk about these two. First, we fight, and then we yield. First, we fight, and then we yield. Look again at this in verse 11. Let's look at this first one. First, we fight. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so when they speak evil against you, they will see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of his return. The first fight that happens when we find ourselves struggling in submission to an authority that we don't like is the fight that takes place not on the outside, but within. Peter says you, you have these passions of the flesh, right? There, there is this war that is being raged against your soul. Do not succumb to it. Jen and I, my wife and I met many times over with a young teen way back in our early days of ministry. And this girl was living a, a nightmare of constant violence in her household. The police were made, made numerous visits. And I remember one night in particular after things got really out of hand, she asked me, Directly, she said, do I have to honor my mother even when she hits me? She's just a heartbreaking question, right? I mean, how do you answer that? It was a quick to listen, slow to speak kind of moment. And we talked at length for a while about what it was that she was experiencing and what God says about this trauma. I, I shared with her that the God we believe in is a God of justice and mercy that he has promised to make all the wrongs of this world right. But then came the hard truth. And the answer to that question is yes. Right? You still have to honor your mother and father. There's no biblical way around that. See, there's a battle that we have to fight inside of ourselves that is waging a war, that is inherently rebellious to our core. 
that even if you have been sinned against, there is no clause in scripture that says we now sin against those who have sinned against us. Thankfully at the time, the, the governing authorities actually did exactly what Peter tells us they do in the scripture this morning. They, they punished sin and they removed her from the home to go live with her dad. But the question is valid, right? How do I subject myself to that kind of a human institution? You know, maybe you've been there. Maybe even right now you're wrestling with what that means to honor those in leadership, honor your own parents. This is a fragile topic. I want to recognize there are deep wounds that come with this. But I think it's also the case for this young woman that she was still called to honor her mother and father. And here's what we talked about. This is what it looks like, right? It might look like honoring your mother with some solid boundaries, honoring her from a distance. It, it might mean honoring her by praying for her, by asking God to remove the, the anger in your own heart for what happened, by asking him to help you forgive. It might be honoring her by being cautious about the words that you speak about your mom, to balance truth with love. But let's not lose the forest through the trees here. What we must guard against, no matter what, is our own sinful, rebellious side that wants to go against any authority in our lives. First, we fight. We fight against flesh because the flesh, Peter says, is waging war on our soul. Look at this from Galatians 5. Now, this is the works of the flesh. This is what Peter's talking about. They're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. You know where these passions come from? They all come from the shadows. They all come from the, the flesh, right? The, the self that says, I'm in control. I don't have to answer to anyone. No one is over me. And perhaps at no place does the human heart fall into such lies than when we've been abused by those in power who have caused us harm? You know, we can all look back probably to at least one time where someone in authority wounded you. But when we live into this self-autonomous lie that says, I'm therefore king, I get to make my own rules, we don't just damage our own lives, we end up damaging our witness of Christ. One commentator said it like this, he said, Peter knew the culture was corrupt, but he never let his people blame the culture for their sin. First we fight that which was, is within us, and then we yield. Then we yield. Look at how Martin Luther said this. He said, a, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is also perfectly dutiful servant of all and subject to all. Thanks for making that clear, Luther. We appreciate it. We talk about stirring up the muddy water, right? But there are three different times in this chapter where Peter calls on these exiled churches to be subject to human institutions over them. In fact, we're gonna look, do a deep dive over the next few weeks as to what those are. But for now, in verse 15, he says, this is why, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And for Peter, he says, we yield in four different ways. First, Peter says, be subject to every institution, and that means bringing honor to all. Honor everyone. It's not just our mother and father that we're called to honor. For Peter, he says, honor all. And another way to translate that is respect. 
Back in 2007, a man named Matt Wright watched his aunt's health rapidly decline. And in the midst of this, he knew she was going to be selling the, the, the family farm, that the sale was imminent. So right after she had the property appraised, he bought it outright for a whopping $50,000. A few months later, Matt went for a ride around the property to see what he had purchased. And along the way, he saw these big stones covered over by weeds. And so he asked a geologist to come and take a look. And that's when Matt's life changed forever. Matt found out these were no ordinary rocks. They were something called Goshen stones. And at the time on the market, Goshen stones were selling for about $100 per ton. And it just so happened that Matt's new land was estimated to have 24 million tons of Goshen stone. Today, Swift River Stone is still in operation with a worth, they say, of nearly $2 billion. Why do we honor all? As Christians, we honor all because that's how God sees his creation. Right? The, the treasure was not in what Matt could see in the outcropping. The treasure was what the geologists saw underneath. And I think so often we forget that even when we're looking at our enemy, even when we hate those in authority over us, they too were made in God's image. That though we might see weeds and dirt, and rightfully so, what God sees is his creation. Peter says, in being subject to those authority of you, over you, bring honor to all. You know, I feel like this is so counterintuitive, right? When we find ourselves at, at odds with someone, particularly someone in authority, I think the first thing we often do is make them less than human. It helps us calm, calm the conflict in our mind, especially when it's in politics. It's really no different than king on the hill on, uh, on the schoolyard, right? We'll do anything, anything to take someone down over us. We love a good hard fall with those we disagree with. But that word honor, it, it means to hold something in value, to see it as costly. Peter says honor all. And how we disagree is just important, I think, is the disagreement itself. So that when they see our beautiful way of life, Peter says, they will look at our good deeds and will glorify God. The second institution that we submit ourselves to then is the church. First we honor all, then we love the brotherhood. And I feel like this one's paramount, right? Kevin DeYoung, he points out there's really three institutions that God has placed over us. The family unit, the governing authorities, and the church. But the church is where the gospel is proclaimed, right? That's, that's what makes it paramount. The church is kind of the central hub to all that. You know, as one of the elders at Spring Hill, I made a vow years ago, as did Brian, as did all of our elders, to submit even my own leadership to the will of the eldership. And I have to say, I believe deeply in that. You know, to be a healthy church is to submit ourselves to that kind of government. And you may not know it, but there, there has not always been the case at Spring Hill where the elders all agree. <laughs> Pandemic. <laughs> but when we leave the room, it's so say we one, so say we all. Right, because one of the best ways we can share the gospel is by loving one another under that biblical form of leadership. The best way we can honor God is to pray for those who are shepherding over us. There is safety in that. There is security in that. When mom and dad mutually submit to each other, the kids feel safe. 
Peter says, first we honor all, then we love the brothers, and third, here's why. We're called to fear God. We submit to the authorities over us because as God's word tells us, the Lord put them there to begin with. You know, when King David was anointed the new leader of Israel, you might remember King Saul was still on the throne, which had to make things awkward. But it didn't just start out awkward, it got violent. Numerous times, Saul made an attempt on David's life with the spear, and when that didn't work, Saul then put him in charge of the army, hoping he'd die in battle. Meanwhile, David had killed hundreds. I mean, Saul's plan backfired spectacularly. David knew it wouldn't take but just a quick move, and Saul would be a dead man. In fact, you might remember he had multiple opportunities to end Saul and eliminate the threat. But he wouldn't. Look at here. Look at this. This is why. Look at this in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 24, verse 6. David said, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hands on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. David knew that this king who had been placed in a position of authority over him was actually placed there by God. And David feared God more than he feared man. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear the Lord, and the last way we subject ourselves is probably the most difficult to ponder. He says for a second time, honor the emperor. Again, we're talking about Nero here. I mean, it doesn't get any worse than that for God's people. He's enemy number one of the church. And yet Peter says, honor him anyway. It sounds kind of problematic. You know, we don't have kings that rule over us, and maybe that's where the waters do get muddy that we, we swim in, right? We, we elect our leaders, and then in good fashion, we judge them to see if they're worthy of another election. But I think it's important to remember that even through that process, God has placed those leaders over us in his providence. That though not all of them praise good and punish evil as they're called to do, we should ask ourselves, what's the alternative if we fight against that? Without structure, we have anarchy. Without falling in line, even to a corrupt government, we, we have no order. We, we have no corporate control over sin. We have no protection or boundaries. And praise God, we, we live in a country, right, where, where we have a rule of law that for the most part abounds. We can, within the rules of that law, protest. We can, within the rules of that law, file a lawsuit or file a charge and see justice. And as Christians, we should do our best to influence through those channels then. I heard a story years ago about a former president who was asked what it's like to be retired from the White House. He was standing before this school of children in this basic podium with just a styrofoam cup in his hand. And he told them, he said, you know, when I was president, I had all the perks, I had my own chef, I had my own entourage, my own plane, had my own wardrobe and security. And he said, every morning I had my own fresh cup of coffee served to me with a fancy mug that had the presidential seal over it. He said, now I get my coffee just like you though, in a simple cup from a Folgers can. Why? He said, because none of that was for me. It was all for the office and the dignity of that office that is held. Why do we honor any king or leader above us? It's because we want to bring glory and praise and honor to the king who's above all. We honor the office because we believe God is ultimately the one sitting upon his throne. But before we close, I think we should 
asks the inevitable question. And that is, when does a Christian find exception to that rule? Is there an exception to that rule? This is great lunchtime fuel for the fodder, I think. And I think it's a valid question because you can find in the scriptures places where God's people not only protested but even defied the orders of the king. Exodus 1, the, Israel midnight, the Israelite midwives refused Pharaoh's orders to kill all the baby boys. Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they refused to worship false idols at the king's command. Acts 4, Peter and John refused to stop preaching Christ despite the threats made against them. I think you can make a biblical argument for standing up for what is right, but that's not the rule, that's the exception. And I think we should note too the common thread here, right? The church only rebelled when it was asked to sin against its ultimate authority. When the conscience of God's people was seared, that's when they rose up. To be subject does not mean that we, we walk blindly by, by the beat of our leader's drum. And it certainly doesn't mean we follow them into the, the abyss of sin or corruption. But it does mean, it does mean that we first recognize that there is a fight within all of us that includes a rebellious sin nature in our own hearts that has to be dealt with. And it means we should make every attempt to yield for the glory of God. And here's why. Peter says, be subject for the sake of Jesus' name. This week, let's ask God to help us understand what that looks like in our schools, in the office, in our homes, in the government, and in the church. Will you pray with me? So God, we, we do just confess that um, that side of life that's tucked away in the shadows, Lord, that in all of us, we all are prone to wander. We all have this, this cancerous rebellion inside that needs to be fought against. And so, uh, Lord, would you help us to wage war against the passions that wage war on us? God, and is, uh, for all of us in the room, I'm, for that person or persons in, in our lives where we struggle with their authority, Lord, would you help us not to slip into sin in our attempts to follow? God, would you help give us wisdom to know what to say and how to act? Lord, keep us from temptation and sin. Help us to yield ultimately to you. God, we declare you Lord and King. So God, lead us. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.